Good morning. So, exciting news. This morning we'll start a new book. I think it was announced already. But uh, we will start the uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, we won't really look much at that book today. This will be more of an introduction to the book. Uh, but we will look a little bit at it near the end. Um, first, I have a question. Something happened to me this week, and I'm wondering if it ever happened to you as well, that uh, you got a letter addressed to somebody else. So literally, it came in your mail, took it out of your mailbox, and like, oops, that letter is not for me. Now, I didn't get as far as opening the letter, but uh, you know, there it was, addressed to a neighbor, not on the same street, a few blocks over, that had the same number as my house, a different street address. But uh, the mailman has occasionally just delivered it to us instead of to them. Uh, what do you do when you get a letter that's addressed to somebody else? Do you open it and read it? No, no, you don't. Why not? Why don't you open it and read it? It doesn't belong to you, right? Uh, so, you know, I, I think it might be a federal offense, actually, to, to take somebody else's mail. I, I don't really know, you know, if they misdeliver it and you open it by accident, I imagine you'd be okay. If you actually went to their mailbox and took their letter, it's actually a federal offense, uh, right? I think one reason for me, as I was looking at it, I was absolutely not interested in the content of that letter, right? I knew, you know, it wasn't for me. It's from a person I don't know to another person I don't know. Who cares what they said, right? It's not going to apply to me. You know, I, I was thinking, what's at the very most, what could it be? Let's say, you know, there was like a check in there. Okay, well, I can't really deposit that check, right? because it'll be traced to my bank account. You know, at some point they'll check, where did the money go? Oh, it went to this guy. And then I'm definitely in trouble, right? So I wouldn't, right? There's just no possible benefit for me to come from that letter, so I didn't open it. So why, if that's the case, are we going to be opening a letter that was written 2,000 years ago to people we don't really know, right? Someone we don't really know to a bunch of other people we don't know. Why are we even going to spend time looking at that letter. Well, there's, a, there's one good reason uh, for it, and that reason is found in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. We'll display the verses there, so you, you could just uh, read up on the screen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there we have it. This letter was included in the scripture, in the word of God, and God promised that everything in his word is for our benefit. Right? So unlike the letter that was written to my neighbor, which has no benefit to me, I know this letter will, because it was included in God's word. Okay, so that's one reason. The second, uh, it was written to a church. So we sometimes have to be careful as we look at the Bible. There are things that, even though they're included in God's word, they're directed toward people 
uh, if you would, that are under a different dispensation. And there are certain things that may have applied to them that don't apply to us. For example, uh, God uh, was judging the nation of Israel for failing to keep the Sabbath. They weren't uh, keeping the Sabbath holy like God commanded them to, and God was judging them for it. Well, we in this dispensation don't have a commandment to keep the Sabbath. It was given specifically for the nation of Israel. Uh, the sacrificial system, right? God commanded them when they sinned, they were supposed to take an animal and sacrifice the animal uh, as an atonement or a covering. And uh, we don't have that today. We understand that was a shadow or a picture of what Christ was going to do for us. So we don't take everything in the Bible as applying directly for us. There's still something to learn from it. There's still pictures and things of value, but we don't necessarily try to obey everything that is in the Bible if we understand it was addressed to a different group of people under a different dispensation or dealings of God. Okay? Not so with the letters of the New Testament. They were written to churches just like us, right? Under the exact same dispensation, everything that God commands them, he's commanding us as, as well. Everything that God is encouraging them, he's encouraging us as well. And as we look at letters in the New Testament, we see that really the same issues that God addresses in those letters are issues that are real today, either at our church or in other churches, right? So they're applicable to today. So here, not are we just looking at the Word of God, but we're really looking at a section of the Word of God really aimed uh, toward us. And we will see as we study it that it will apply directly to us. We have issues today at our church. <laughs> the Philippians had at their church 2,000 years ago that God will be addressing. Okay? However, uh, it is helpful to know, right, the people to whom God was writing the letter. Just if I knew my neighbor really well. Let's say the wrong letter came to my house, but I happen to know my neighbor really well, and I happen to know the person who wrote the letter very well as well. It might be kind of interesting. Well, I'm really curious. You know, what, <laughs> what did so-and-so write to my neighbor? Because I know both of them very well. This could be really interesting. Now, I should control myself and not read it because it wasn't addressed to me. Unlike the, the uh, letter to the Philippians is for us, but we will gain more for, from it if we know Paul better and the Philippians better, and particularly the relationship they had with each other. Okay, so that's what we will do today. Today, we will try to look at the relationship Paul had with the church at Philippi so we can appreciate the letter more as we study it in the next few months. Okay, so that's the purpose of today, really looking at Paul, the Philippians, and the relationship they had with each other. Okay, with that, let's turn to Acts chapter 16. It might be worth turning there because I will be reading uh, quite a number of verses from that chapter. That's a chapter that really describes the relationship between Paul and the church at Philippi. Okay, so Acts chapter 16, we'll start with a couple of verses, verse 9 and 10. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel 
to them. Okay, let's turn to the map. So this is what's known as uh, Paul's second missionary journey. If you recall, the previous letter Paul wrote was to the letter, the letter to the Galatians. At least the previous letter that we studied as a church. There's Galatia in kind of the middle of what is today Turkey. And uh, that's the area Paul visited in his first missionary journey. First missionary journey really centered on Galatia. And uh, Paul, they had the issue with the false teachers, the Judaizers. We, we uh, looked at that in our previous in the letter, letter to the Galatians. Uh, Paul sent that letter to them. And then after he sent the letter, he actually went there and started visiting the churches. So that's, he started in Antioch. This is showing him as starting in Jerusalem. If you remember, he did go to Jerusalem to confer with the elders at Jerusalem and the apostles and make sure they were all united as in addressing the false teaching of the Judaizers. But uh, really, he started from Antioch. Uh, he went through uh, what looks like uh, the regions of Galatia, visiting the churches, giving them the letter that was written and encouraging them. And then, if, you were, if we were to spend more time in the chapter, we see he kind of tried to go south, and he couldn't. He tried to go north, and it, couldn't. it was like God was constraining him. And so, he, you know, he wasn't going to go back. He couldn't go left. He couldn't go right. He went forward all the way till he got to Troas. In Troas is where he had that dream, right? It says this vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia came and pleaded with him. Well, where's Macedonia? Macedonia is right across the Aegean Sea. Right? You see he's crossing the sea there. And Philippi is right at the top. So that's where he ends up. But he, there he is at Troas, and he has this vision or dream of a man from Macedonia pleading with him and saying, you know, please come and help us. Please come and help us. And it made me think of um, a man named Robert uh, Moffat. I think a slide about him too. But uh, he was a missionary to Africa. I think uh, specifically, uh, it's uh, the village, the picture. Yeah, he, he was a missionary to South Africa. And uh, he wrote this line, or made this statement, said, I have seen the smoke of a thousand villages without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. There he was on the plain of uh, South Africa looking, and he could see the smoke rising from thousands of villages. This is the early 1800s, and he realized there is not a single missionary who has gone to these people. These people are completely without Christ, completely without God, completely without hope. And his heart was burdened uh, for them, and he passed uh, that burden to his son-in-law, David Livingston. So you may not have heard of Robert Moffat. You heard of his son-in-law, David Livingstone. He's a famous explorer of Africa, but really the reason he became an explorer was to help bring the gospel into a part of Africa that's never seen a missionary before. He had this burden for these people without God. And that is what Paul had. Really, we see here God giving this burden to Paul in this dream, right? He had the vision appear to Paul at night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Right? God impressed on his heart the spiritual need of the people of Macedonia. And Paul heard, as it is called, the Macedonian call. 
And he crossed over the sea, and uh, really that was the first, he was the first missionary that we know of to have come into Europe. Right? This is Macedonia, is in Europe. He was the first missionary to come, again, called by this burden of God that God gave him for them. Okay, then uh, we can continue in Acts 16, verse 33. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayed, prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now certain women, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Tyaria who worshiped God. Now the Lord opened her heart to, the, to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded. Uh, so we see here Paul entering the city, he entered the city of Philippi, and then he, uh, his custom was to look for a synagogue. And the reason for it is in the synagogue you had people already prepared by God. They were exposed to the teachings of the Old Testament, uh, so they would know about God, they would know God promised a Messiah to come to Israel. And uh, in a sense, there was the commandment to, to bring the message of the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it, the, the gospel message was for everyone, but in a sense, God has already, already given the promise to the Jews, and the first thing Paul wanted to do is say, okay, the promise is fulfilled. He sent the Messiah. His name is Jesus. Right? Now, there was no synagogue in the, the city of Philippi, um, and uh, as a result, Paul went where he could find people who knew God, and in this case, they were meeting at the riverside. Right? There were a group of women who knew God, or at least knew about God. It says they worshipped God, and they were meeting at the river. So Paul goes to them, and he shares with them uh, the gospel. Uh, we could uh, get a sense of what the gospel is if we look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4. This is a letter written to the Corinthians, which are farther down the same missionary journey. So Paul started at the top of Macedonia, and then he went down into Achaia, and that's where Corinth was. But we can depend on the fact he was preaching a consistent mis uh, uh, message throughout his uh, missionary journey. And he says to us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So Paul probably said it in more words than that, right? We have the whole Gospel of Luke, which... Uh, was probably to a large degree uh, the content of what Paul shared because that's, Luke was a, a, uh, a helper to Paul and uh, at some point or another gathered information, but probably, you know, you get a, we know there was more to it, there was more to describe of the life of the Lord Jesus, but succinctly said the message of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures he paid the penalty that I deserved because of my sins against God. He was buried and then he rose from the dead to demonstrate who he was. He was the son of God to demonstrate that my sins were paid in full and to demonstrate that one day he will also raise me up and everybody else who believed in him. 
And, uh, and it says that uh, God, the Lord opened the heart, her heart, the heart of Lydia, to heed the things spoken by Paul. So we recognize that when we share the gospel with people, there's ideally two things happening. Two things have to happen for a person to be saved. One is they need to hear the gospel because by believing the gospel, they are saved, but there also needs to be the work of God alongside. It can't just be me talking. God has to be working. And uh, we see that in John chapter 3, verse 5 through 8, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So that day, Lydia was born of the Spirit. She was born again. And it appears others in her household, probably some of the other women that were meeting by the riverside were born again on that day as Paul was preaching the gospel. What does that make Paul? Well, that makes Paul the spiritual father. 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. That was... Paul's letter to the Corinthians, but certainly it would be true of the Philippians as well. They were born again through his ministry by hearing the gospel, and that makes him the spiritual father. Something funny happens when you become a father. Uh, first of all, you have uh, children, but uh, the other thing that happens is you all of a sudden have love for these children, right? Where did that love come from? these children. It was given by God. It was given by God. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. As soon as you had a child, you loved that child. <laughs> Where did that love come from? It comes from God. Well, the same thing is true with spiritual children. Paul viewed the Philippians as his spiritual children, and he loved them. And so we must recognize as we read the letter to the Philippians that it's filled with love. Everything that Paul says, he is speaking out of love to them. Next, in Acts 16, we see uh, Paul becomes an example to the Philippians. This is a lengthy passage, so I'll explain it as we go through it. But picking up in verse 16 of Acts 16, says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. So this is a very interesting case 
of demon possession. Um, it's not unusual uh, to find demon-possessed persons uh, in uh, these texts. It's not unusual to see demons being cast out by uh, the messengers of the gospel. Uh, what's unusual is usually someone demon-possessed is brought to the apostles for the purpose of healing, right? Like the man who brought Jesus, his uh, son, that was being cast by the demon into the water and into the fire. He wanted his son to be healed. And that's generally the case, generally the case with demon possession and being delivered from demons uh, in, the, in the Bible is somebody wants to be delivered, right? Or really a beloved, a family member or a friend of the demon possessed person wants them to be delivered. He brings them to the Lord Jesus or to one of the apostles and they receive healing. They, they're delivered from the demon. In this case, this person did not seek healing. Nobody brought this person to Paul for the purpose of healing. And Paul does not immediately cast out the demons because there is no faith, um, there is no interest in the healing. He actually does it as a form of defense for the gospel. He can tell that having this demon-possessed uh, young lady uh, Preaching the gospel along him was not a good thing. I mean, at first you think, well, that's wonderful. You know, one more person to attest to the fact that here is the saving message of the gospel. Paul knew this is not the case. This person is, is demon-possessed. It was known that she was possessed. Uh, this is not a good thing. Right? It could be that it was how she was doing it. She, the, the text often doesn't carry the uh, enunciation. She could have been saying it in a way that detracted from the message. Or it could be that just the fact that she was uh, doing other things on the side, she was uh, fortune-telling, uh, that now you're mixing up fortune-telling with the gospel, and that's not good. So I don't know exactly what it was that made Paul feel that this is absolutely uh, cannot continue, but clearly having a demon-possessed person alongside you preaching the gospel is not a good thing. And so eventually... Paul cast out, casts out the demons really as a way of defending the gospel, defending the faith uh, of the gospel. Now, what happens next, I don't think was necessarily a surprise for Paul because uh, this uh, lady who was demon-possessed was actually a business. So she had owners, she was a slave, and they would charge people for her services of telling the future. And so it wouldn't take uh, a genius to figure out, once I cast out the demon, she will no longer be able to do her job. And as a result, some people are going to be unhappy about it. Right? I think Paul knew that was going to happen. But he was willing to face the consequences for the sake of defending the gospel. So what happens next? Verse 19, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, and they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes, 
and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet in the stock. So here Paul becomes an example to the Philippians, not just in uh, defending the gospel, but suffering for the gospel. He was beaten uh, with rods. He, he mentions at other places that he was beaten uh, uh, 50 times, no, 40 times minus one. <clears throat> 40 times minus one. I don't know what it would take to have someone beat you with a rod 39 times on your back. And I imagine uh, it wasn't light blows, right? These were blows to teach a person a lesson so that he'll never do it again. And that's what uh, Paul and Silas received and then thrown into jail on top of that and uh, then fastened with their feet in the stocks, which mean uh, they would be forced to lie down on their back, exactly that part of them that was just injured uh, so severely. So there they are lying uh, in the inner prison in stocks, uh, suffering pain. What will they do? I don't know about you, but this is where my complaining would start. Like, God, there I was for you. I was defending the gospel. You know, why am I suffering now? Didn't I do what I was supposed to do? And, uh, and yet, that's not how Paul and Silas react. Verse 25, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners well, listening to them, wait a second, weren't you just beaten? Uh, aren't you in the stocks, in the inner jail? Where's the singing coming from? Well, Jesus tells us about it in Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul believed the Lord Jesus. He believed that uh, his reward in heaven was uh, exceedingly uh, greater than the suffering that he just endured. Uh, forever he will be recognized as one who suffered for the Lord Jesus and for the gospel's sake in heaven. Uh, people will admire Paul for that. They will uh, glorify the Lord Jesus for that. Uh, his reward, I don't know exactly what form he takes, will be great in heaven. And so he was willing to rejoice, uh, even being in the midst of suffering in the inner jail at Philippi. Note the impact of his rejoicing. So Paul was not just an example in uh, striving for the gospel, defending the gospel. He wasn't just an example in suffering for the gospel. He is here also an example of rejoicing in the midst of suffering. Rejoicing in the midst of suffering for the gospel. But now we see he's also an example in being a testimony for the gospel. It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners probably saw Paul and Silas dragged into prison, uh, fastened with their feet in the stocks, and they were shaking their head, these poor guys, these poor guys. I wonder what they did to deserve 
uh, such a severe treatment, and yet these men are starting to sing praises to God and praying to God in the midst of the... What a testimony, right? What an impact it had on the prisoners as they were looking on and listening uh, to these two men uh, praising the Lord. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. God saw an opportunity here. Here were two men that were being faithful to the Lord in defending the gospel, uh, being willing to suffer for the gospel, and uh, being willing to rejoice in their suffering. And God was going to use these two men into even a greater effect by shaking the prison so that everybody's chains would be loosed. And, uh, and really amplifying, putting a megaphone on, on the testimony of Paul and Silas. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why was he going to kill himself? My understanding is that at the time, if you were the prison guard and the prisoner escaped, uh, you would be guilty, right? No questions asked, right? It was your job to secure them and make sure that nobody gets out. So if they get out, you're at fault. And very possibly, uh, either you go to jail or you'll be executed for failing in your job. And the God wasn't willing to face that consequences. He was just going to kill himself, right? Forgetting that he has a family at home that was depending on him, or maybe figuring there's nothing he could do for them anymore. He was going to end his own life. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. What a statement when uh, the prison was filled with uh, prisoners who were all loosed from their shackles, that uh, all the prisoners stayed and said, we know that God did this. We know God did it because of you guys, and we're sticking around to see what's going to happen next. <laughs> right? You know, we want to know this God that is shaking the prison and uh, is bringing out joy in the midst of suffering. And, uh, and the Philippian jailer had enough. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you ever want someone to come to you like that? <laughs> what must I do to be saved? As all of that, really, the result of Paul's and Silas' testimony, obviously with God shaking the prison walls, they're like, you know, here is God's messenger, and he's preaching to us the way of salvation. I want to hear what he has to say. Right. So we'll stop there for the book of Acts, but uh, we see Paul was... Uh, he was burdened for the Philippians. He became their spiritual father, and then he became their example in defending the gospel, suffering for the gospel, rejoicing in the midst of suffering, and being a testimony for the gospel. What a uh, benefit for the church of Philippi to have had Paul as a special minister. We see the Philippians reciprocated uh, to Paul with uh, love 
and support. We see it first. We actually already read it in uh, verse 15 in Acts 16. It says, when she, Lydia, and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She realized, wait a second, you, Paul is here. He is uh, preaching the gospel to us. Uh, he doesn't have a place to stay. Yeah, sure, there's an inn down the road, but that's going to cost Paul money. Plus, I know that inn, and it's not that comfortable. I could really do better for Paul. I have a more comfortable place, and he doesn't have to pay a penny. Plus, I get to benefit by him being close by and being, having continued access to his teaching. So please, Paul, come and stay with me. And uh, it says she constrained him, so she meant it and was able to get Paul uh, to stay with her at her house. Okay? Um, but this, it didn't end there. This will be our first verse in uh, Philippians. We see that the support of Paul continued. Philippians 4.15. Now you Philippians <clears throat> know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So they actually continued to support Paul. Uh, as Paul went out to other cities, they kept sending packages after him. Paul, we know. You're busy preaching the gospel, and we would really like you to be able to continue preaching the gospel. And it's not easy when uh, you have to, you know, work and earn your keep uh, everywhere you go. That definitely takes away from your ability of serving in the gospel. We would like to help out. You know, please receive uh, these goods that we're sending you. Maybe they were sending him money so he could uh, buy what he needs with it. But they continue to, to support Paul, even after he left the church. And he's pointing out that they were the only ones who did it. At least in Macedonia, they were the only church that continued sending support for Paul. And we actually don't hear of any other church doing it. So it could have been really just them uh, that, that uh, loved Paul and supported Paul to this extent. So really a special relationship between this church, the church of Philippi, and Paul. And finally, uh, this letter itself is, uh, is a response to them sending a gift to Paul. Uh, I think the map I showed earlier doesn't even have it, but uh, Paul is now in prison. So he did his second missionary journey, then he had the third missionary journey, and then what's so-called the fourth missionary journey was paid for by Rome because they shipped Paul as a prisoner uh, from Jerusalem or... or uh, where he was jailed uh, all the way to Rome. And now Paul was sitting in prison in Rome, and the Philippians uh, made a choice. They sent uh, Epaphroditus, who was probably uh, one of the uh, main uh, person in the church, and they gave him money or, or more supplies for Paul, and they sent him all the way to Rome, which could have been a few months worth of travel to get all the way there and bring Paul a gift. And actually, this letter that Paul is writing to the Philippians is carried back by the same guy. So Epaphroditus, who brought the gift all the way to, to Rome, to Paul, is now bringing this letter all the way back to Philippi. 
And uh, some people describe this letter as a thank you letter. Thank you very much for sending me the gift to Rome. Now, we will see as we look at the letter that it's much more than a thank you letter, but it is a thank you letter. Paul is thanking them. Uh, we'll see when we get to chapter 4 for the gift that they sent him all the way to Rome. Okay, so that brings us to the letter to the Philippians. What is the purpose of this letter? Well, I would submit to you, because you will not find it everywhere, if you, if you were to look at uh, commentators and what they say about the book of Philippians, um, a lot of people, a lot of commentators don't find this particular <clears throat> emphasis in the gospel because it's a very mild gospel compared to, say, Galatians. You look at Galatians, and you know immediately what the issue is. Right? The Judaizers have come in, they're preaching another gospel, and the church is in danger. And Paul says very sharp words to the, to the Galatians, uh, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Right? That you're turning away from the true gospel and into a dead gospel that can't save you. Right? He, he uses very sharp words. In Philippians, he doesn't use sharp language, and we'll get to it in a second why. Um, but it really is a letter of spiritual encouragement. It's a, a letter of spiritual encouragement. Um, the word rejoice, often what people will look for to try to establish what uh, is the emphasis of a letter, they'll look for words that happen frequently and really more frequently than other letters. And the word joy and rejoice uh, uh, happen in a particularly high frequency in this short letter. This is just four short chapters or four chapters. Uh, the word joy appears five times, which uh, ties with 2 Corinthians for having of all of Paul's letters, the word joy appear most frequently. Now, letter to, second letter to the Corinthians has 13 chapters. This has only four. So you can already tell well, there's a higher density of joy in Philippians than in 2 Corinthians. The word rejoice happens nine times, blows away any other epistle. You'll have to turn to the gospel to find the word rejoice happening more than the letter to the Philippians. Now, so because of that, a lot of people will say, okay, Philippians, the main purpose of Philippians is joy, right? It's an epistle of joy, to express our joy. Well, it's actually to fix a problem of a lack of joy, right? Uh, the key verse, if, if there is one, I will pick Philippians 4.4. 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And, uh, well, you know, if they were rejoicing a lot, Paul wouldn't have to write this letter, right? So he's, he's telling them to rejoice because a spirit of discouragement has settled on the church. The church at Philippi right now is a discouraged church, and they need encouragement. And Paul is writing this letter to thank them for their gift, but also to encourage them, also to encourage them. Uh, what is it that they need encouragement in? Uh, there was, there's at least four different areas in which I found uh, evidence for Paul's effort in encouraging them, which therefore we will conclude they were discouraged in that area. Uh, the first one, just going in order in the epistle, because um, I'm not going to say which is more important or which is uh, more critical, 
But the first one I found in Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I would suggest that there was a discouragement about how things were going spiritually. So there was maybe a sinking of spiritual temperature uh, in the church, maybe personally. People started doubting, you know, what's happening in my life? It's not showing the fruits of the Spirit. What's happening to our church? It's not showing the fruits of... Things are not going well. We might fail. We may not make it. And Paul is saying to them that he is confident that he who has begun a good work in them will also complete it until the day of Jesus. Paul remembers the vision God gave him. You know, he gave me a burden for you guys. He gave me a vision. I came and I preached the gospel and I saw God working in your midst. Right? Do you remember the earthquake? I was there in prison. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Right? Don't, don't worry you know, that you're failing. God is at work in your church and he will complete the work that he's doing. Uh, second, Philippians 1.12, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Second reason some people at the church in Philippi were discouraged is Paul. Paul is in jail. You know, he was in jail in Philippi for one night, and God shook the prison and let him out, right? And lots of people got saved. Why is Paul in prison? He was in prison in Israel for a couple of years. Now he's been at prison in Rome for a couple of years. What's going on? And so Paul responds to that in this letter, and he'll tell them, you know, I want you to know, brethren, the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance for the gospel. Paul could look at his being in prison and says, you know, God has furthered the gospel through my being in jail. If you want to know how, you'll have to wait. Right? We'll cover that. But clearly they were discouraged about it because Paul feels the need of encouraging. It's okay that I'm in jail. God is using it. Okay, third, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. There was persecution at the church at Philippi. And uh, yes, you know, we saw Paul rejoicing in the earthquake, but uh, it seems that in Philippi they've become discouraged over the persecution that they're encountering. Yeah, understandable, right? People don't like to suffer. It's like, yes, the Lord Jesus told us that we should rejoice, but it's not easy. And in Philippi, it appears they've become discouraged over persecution in their midst. Understandable. So Paul will address it, right, in this letter. And then finally, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The fourth area of discouragement in the church is disunity. Uh, there were arguments between the believers, between the leadership. People were divided over issues, perhaps how to preach the gospel, perhaps why there's persecution, perhaps why 
there seems to be a spiritual decline in the church. Right? And there was division even in the leadership over these issues. And you could understand how that would bring discouragement to the church at Philippi. Okay, so at least these four areas of discouragement that Paul will address in his letter. Now, we'll notice the style is very different. I already alluded to that. It's a lot gentler, a lot softer um, than Galatians was. And uh, I was just thinking of a couple of illustrations for that. <clears throat> if that was your child in the street, what would you do? Get out of the street! <laughs> you're, not, you're not very polite about it, right? You're not particularly nice. Why? Because there is mortal danger, right? And that's the letter to the Galatians. There was a mortal danger uh, as the Judaizers were being permitted to teach and to preach false, a false gospel in the churches. Uh, very different. Uh, the letter to the Philippians, now we have the next image. Uh, that's taken of, uh, of a boy in a soccer game. He was very sad that his team was losing. And we can understand, you know, it's a sad thing. But uh, we don't want to get overly discouraged, right, by a game, right? We don't, we don't want to lose it completely. Uh, so, you know, as his father, I would, you know, try to cheer him up a little bit. You know, it says, it's okay, you know, yeah, they lost the game, but it's just a game. And, uh, you know, we got a birthday party later today to go to, so, you know, just get over it, you know. <laughs> so, it's a, very, a much different tone you approach with. Um, and, and so, the letter to the Philippians will be like that. It's a much gentler tone than the letter to the Galatians. Again, designed to encourage. You can't encourage someone by yelling at them, okay? You know, if I start yelling at him, it's like, stop crying! You know, he would cry louder. He'd be more upset. So, so certainly Paul, in a very gentle way, is trying to lift up uh, the Philippians here. Okay, we'll close with just thinking about applications to ourselves. So it is, you know, we recognize that the letters written in the New Testament are written to real issues the churches had at that time and really will have for the entire uh, period of the church dispensation. So like the letter to the Galatians is addressing the issues of salvation by works, is that an issue today? Are there churches that teach that you're saved by good works? Absolutely. Right? That's an issue we have today. Do we have spiritual discouragement today? Is it possible to get spiritually discouraged? Absolutely. Right? If the Philippians could get discouraged after having someone like Paul in their midst, probably several times ministering to them, uh, all, all the miracles, the things they've seen in their younger days as a church, Certainly, it's possible for us to get discouraged today, spiritually. And so we want to look to, to this epistle as a means to encouragement for us. Um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines man's purpose in this way. It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. God wants us to enjoy him. God wants us to have joy in our life. Uh, it's true, this is not a uh, salvation issue to become discouraged, but it's missing out on God's best. God wants his best for you, and we want to gain God's best for us.
and enjoy him uh, doing our uh, spiritual journey here below. So we'll look to the Lord in prayer for that. Father, we thank you for the letter to the Philippians, a practical letter aimed to encourage us in our spiritual walk. We pray, Lord, that you will use it effectively in our lives. If there's anyone discouraged in our midst, Lord, you know our hearts, you know our minds, what it is that's bringing discouragement to us. We pray for your special encouragement for us today as we, and as we continue in the study of this letter. We uh, want to pray for the uh, baby shower that we'll enjoy now. We thank you for Luke and for Jen and for the child you've given the two of them. Uh, we pray that uh, you will receive the glory from all the things we do and say today. In Jesus' name, amen.